Welcome back. This is part 3 of Raccoon City Inferno, a Resident Evil 2 Remake survivalogue presented by Gunblade Guys and the Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast. We just picked up a flamethrower, scorched our way through a gauntlet of sewer monsters, and then discovered a secret passageway back into the police station. All caught up? Great, let's go. Holy crap, do I have access to the police station again? I can see the locked weapon case is still here and I still have no key on hand to open it. Up a stair is the other elevator that goes to the octagonal room. Do I have access to the police station again? Inside the octagonal room, I can see the T-bar handle can be put into a thingy. I unload all plugs and more into storage and withdraw the roll of film and shamrock key, then put the T-bar into the thingy. Oh, I get it now. The reason I couldn't return to the police station when I first entered the octagonal room is because the secret entrance under the statue in the police station lobby closed behind me inexplicably. Using the T-bar on the thing reopens the secret entrance. Now I'm back in the police station. I have two errands in here. Develop the film and open the last shamrock door. That means go to the dark room and the observation room. Both are equidistant to the lobby. Let's go to the dark room first since I can expect that the clue learned from developing film necessarily means there is a follow-up step that might have me go in the direction of the observation room anyways. On my way to the dark room I sneak past a corpse and a liquor, no problem. The film develops and it's, well it's two images, both feature a work desk, different work desks I think. One has a scatter of papers, a black phone, and one tipped over paper cup. The second desk has two paper cups, one of which is tipped over, and a boom box. I'm not really sure what my takeaways are of this. I'll have to look out for desks that look like this? I don't really know. I have to ice some corpses on my way to the observation room, and inside I rip off gunpowder from a dead cop. A memo on a desk describes a visitor to the police station who acted suspicious in the second floor waiting room and was arrested. He had a note on him, which is attached to the memo. The note has a safe code drawn on it. Left 6, right 2, left 11. So some cheeky moron was going to open a safe in a police station? There's a weird ornamental box in here too. It looks kind of medieval, kind of magical, kind of very out of place in this gritty realistic horror game. It's got intricate gold designs, blue paint, and is rimmed with hieroglyphics. On top there are four red gems in gold settings and a large setting between them all which is missing its red gem. I wonder if the ornamental scepter with the red cursed gem has anything to do with this, but that gem is currently in storage. There is audio recording equipment on the table, and across a broken mirrored wall is the room where folks get interrogated. In there, I find some bullets. Anyways, let's get to and open this safe. We do that, and there's a muzzle break for the handgun. You add it to your muzzle, and it reduces recoil and muzzle rise by redirecting part of the propellant gas away from the barrel. Is that a thing? Like, is that a real accessory for a gun, or is this just some fun fantasy crap? A brief Google search says, yes, it is a real thing, and according to what I'm seeing, looks like some muzzle brakes can reduce recoil by as much as half. Nice. I attach it to Matilda. Am I, like, supposed to walk through every office around here and look at every desk? There's a million of them on the first floor, but objectively speaking, there shouldn't be very many rooms with desks on the second floor. I cross the lobby and the library to the star's office. There's, like, ten desks in here. None of them match, but the desk in the supervisor's private office matches one of the photos. I open an unlocked desk drawer and open a wooden box shaped like a suitcase. In the center of the top is emblazoned a logo that reads Lightning Hawk and has the silhouette of a hawk adjacent to it. Also on the top, the words Kendo Custom Shop and Prototype Model Phase 1. Oh shit, something cool is inside. It's a custom part for a weapon, a red dot sight, but it's for a weapon I don't have yet. The tooltip underscores this fact and I'm a little disappointed. Where is this Lightning Hawk weapon I was supposed to have? I return to the lobby and save my game. I take out the scepter and try to combine it with the ornamental chest. Nothing. I examine the scepter and see that there is a secret switch near the gem. The gem falls out of the scepter and becomes its own item, and the gemless scepter disappears from my inventory. 
I combine the gem and the gem box. Inside is a stars badge. I feel like I'm learning this pretty late in the game, but according to the tooltip, stars is the Raccoon Police Department's Special Forces Division. Mostly the badges steel blue in color, save for a circular logo showing three stars and banners that read stars police in brass. On the back side of the shield is a little switch that reveals a USB port. I'm betting we can use this on the stars office computer as a means to gain access to its weapons locker. We have to go back. With nerves of steel, I walk directly under a liquor clung to the ceiling just above the stars office. I put the USB drive into the computer, attempting to access the armory. The computer confirms access, a klaxon buzzes, and the door to the armory swings open. Inside here is a letter from Chris Redfield. That's Claire's last name. Her brother was a cop, right? Chris is bragging to his fellow stars buds that he made a girl, end quote, got under her umbrella. I wonder if that's as much code for getting in her panties as it is for suggesting the girl works at Umbrella Corps. He's talking about fucking off to Europe with her too. Did Chris get out of Dodge before the zombie virus apocalypse? Kind of a deflating way to end the Claire storyline from what it looks like here. Oh, he got out in time. Roll credits. The message is written to a woman named Jill, who says if you find Claire, tell her I'm alright. Jill, like like Jill Valentine Jill? The one who wrote that cryptic message to the gun shop owner? Better question, why does Chris think Jill would care that he's getting laid? What a nerd. Also in the armory, the Lightning Hawk. Seven round capacity, .50 AE mag, gas operated action, which is unusual for a semi-auto handgun, but it adds power and accuracy. Some cutting edge stuff, it seems. I immediately affix the red laser sight onto it and point my new toy at various things around the room. A red laser paints a dot on where the bullet will go. Outstanding. But how much stopping power does it have? Relative to the shotgun? Relative to the flamethrower? I take myself upon the asinine task of looking for a desk that has a boombox on it. I investigate the west side of the main level and find nothing but a couple of corpses and liquors I have to stealth around. On the east side, there's plenty of desks and a corpse, but no boomboxes. In the press room, I catch a corpse pounding at a boarded up door. But there is a boombox on a small corner table, not the press desk. This is the second hiding place. I open it up, and it's got a gas tank for my flamethrower. 400 units of fuel. I'm recharged, baby. You know, I kind of wondered how we recharged this thing, too. Like, part of me wondered if I stick the thrower to a valve on some kind of rare but recognizable type of pipe and siphon fuel that way. But this works, too. So, what else is there to do? Is that about it? What about the missing keys to the safety deposit room and the two portable safes I have? What am I supposed to do about that? It's been so long since I picked those two things up. Maybe there's, like, a, a clue on the device when you inspect it. I go back and check. No clues on them. On its face are eight buttons that correspond to a ring of eight lights that can light up green or red or not at all. It is only this late in the game I deduce I must press all buttons in a particular order by trial and error. So let's try it. 90 seconds later, I determine one of the safe's combinations and earn one of the missing keys for the safety deposit locker keypad. The device does a fun, minimalist, happy jingle when I've got it all sorted out. Like something you might hear from one of those Tiger Electronics handheld games from the early 90s. Surely the other key is in the other portable safe. In another minute, I have the other portable safe open, and the other keypad key is inside. Therefore, let's get over to the safety deposit room. I'm there now, and I add the keys to the keypad. I can now open lockers 102, 103, 203, and 208. In that order, I find the following. Gunpowder, combat knife, hip pouch fucking woot, and shotgun shells. That's a nice bounty. As of this moment, the map of the entire police station's lower level is blue, meaning there are no more items or riddles to contend with in any room. Back to the lobby, save. Now I'm not here to be a completionist, but looking back at the parking garage area, I still have this bent car key. I wonder if there is anything more I can do about that. So I go back to the garage area. Well, hold on, we get to the parking lot, but 
Let's look at that weapon case at the bottom of the stairwell below the octagon room one more time. I bring all the key-like things I have on me. Chest knight, sewer key, bent car key, and the USB police shield. Odds aren't good. The key keys don't work on it, but the badge fits into the setting. Like you don't input the business end of the USB, you fit the badge into a setting that's flush to the case's lock. But nothing happens. The USB end is still out, so I flip the switch that retracts the USB and try again. The case clicks and the top opens. Inside, it's a long barrel attachment for the Lightning Hawk. Reduces recoil and provides extra bullet velocity. I haven't fired a single bullet of this fresh new weapon and have already upgraded it twice. Oh, and that's interesting. With the new barrel, the Lightning Hawk occupies two inventory slots instead of one. Alright, rad. Let's head to the parking lot. I can't reach it through the underground facility like I did the first time, because when Mr. G smashed me through the metal walkway, it cut me off from the rest of the way through the room where I fought that boss. I have to go through the way I came back into the police station. That staircase, first floor, east wing. I go there. I pass by the firing range, a room the map has set in red, because there were three corpses there that I didn't feel like plowing through. But I don't mind it so much now. I get the first corpse's attention and exit behind the door I just came in, steadying Matilda at the door as the zombie attempts to smash it open. When the door opens with a clang, a single shot bursts its head like a jelly-filled pumpkin. Two shots fell the second. And the third? There is no third. I pick up shotgun shells and shatter a coon figurine. The generator is an incomplete room too, but in this moment I don't feel like skulking through the kennel to get it, so I focus on the mystery of the car key. I move slowly through the lot and hide behind a concrete pillar. I don't see any dogs here. Did they all escape into the city after Ada and I opened the garage door? I inspect the car key to see there is some sort of anything on it. And yeah, there is an unlock button. How come I didn't see this before? I feel like practically, like if this were a real world scenario, I would have spotted this remote unlock button instantaneously, but in this playthrough, it's been hours. I press the unlock button and a haunting echoing car unlock double beep fills the garage. Didn't sound very close to me. Must be across the way. Turns out it unlocks the boot of a police car. I throw it open and discover a gun stock for Matilda. It allows the gun to fire three rounds with one squeeze of the trigger. I do not equip this attachment. Bullets feel like a very limited resource in this game, so why should I risk wasting any more bullets than I absolutely have to? Think about it. If I miss and shoot right over a corpse's shoulder, I'm out three bullets instead of one. I think I'm done with police station backtracking, so I return to the sewers via the weapon shop like Ada and I first did. The weapon shop's rear entrance is locked, and so too is the room where the guy and his half-zombie daughter retreated to. I have to go back through the secret elevator shaft. Lobby. Store the gun stock. Throw away the car key and the USB police badge, reclaim the plugs, save. Looking at my inventory, I'm feeling very decked out right now. Four weapons, all loaded, a combat knife, and a fistful of chess pieces. Two elevators later, I'm back in the sewers. The way to the control room is through the lower sludge way, which is blocked by a sewer monster. Should I use my flamethrower again? Well, let's use a little flamethrower. Just a little. Not enough to kill it, just enough to distract it. It doesn't notice me as I'm walking towards it, and even when I'm right next to it, so I skillfully vault myself past it and onto a platform I know it won't follow. Feeling pretty proud of myself about that one. But this is the wrong way, so I sneak past the sewer monster a second time. Despite myself, I reach the monitor room. I have all the plugs, but there's still the matter of which goes to which box. The pawn and knight boxes are labeled, so I put those in first. Then I reread those clues on the wall. Rook and knight are next to each other. Bishop and queen are not next to each other. And the queen and rook are opposite each other. I put the rook next to the knight and the queen opposite the rook. If the queen is not next to the bishop, then that leaves the king, which makes some sense. I put the bishop in the final slot. 
Three large deadbolts slide away from a heavy metal door nearby, and the door swings open with a loud squeal. I pick up some herbs and encounter one locked door and a powered-down freight door bathed in harsh red light that accesses the waste disposal room Ada is lying in. The main power room is nearby. More herbs. Oh god, are we drumming up for a boss fight? In here is another puzzle of flipping switches to get needles to settle into sweet spots on their displays, like I had to do in the generator room. I figure it out, and the lighting around the garbage disposal turns from red to green, and something lets out a happy industrial confirmation beep. As I run back out of the room, something smashes a huge hole through the ceiling I'm directly under, and I startle so hard I almost toss my steam deck into the air above me. The room is filling with fire. Jesus Christ! Leon hollers. Another piece of ceiling explodes, and an ugly, mutated hand slashes at me. I huddle in a corner. It happens a third time, and I can see a familiar orange eye. It's searching for me from above. It smashes ceiling two more times, one of which catches me again. A moment later, it's left the top of this room, and now it's busting the door down. The door crashes open, and I'm confronted with Mr. G again. I open fire on the eyeball with my lightning hawk, but I don't have a very good angle. I squeeze off a few more rounds, but they're glancing blows at best. As the claw smashes me a third time, I can see the profile of this guy, and it looks a little different than last time. I feel like the human portion of the beast in front of me is slimmer and able to stand more erect than the pipe-dragging hulk I fought below the police station. I am now able to race out of the room past it, mash some herbs together, and drag myself out of the danger zone. Now I'm running through tight quarters around the room. I turn to see if I put good enough distance on him to dig my heels and squeeze off a few more rounds, but he's running full bore at me, closing distance fast. He's twice as fast as the other Mr. G encounter. The chase terminates at a narrow platform where a crane is still attached to a red shipping container. This is a dead end. There's bullets in a console nearby. I instinctually smash that console button, not knowing what it will do. The crane activates and carries away the shipping container. With it gone, the end of the road feels a lot bigger, but it's still a dead end and I still feel very exposed. When the monster is on the platform with me, I squeeze off a couple more shots, but it never feels like it's hitting the mark. It lunges at me and rakes me with its huge claw. I run to the other side of the platform and steady my red dot aim as it closes the distance. More shots ring out and it drops to its knees. I run to the other side because these precious seconds of stun time is really important for getting out of the corner that I'm in and into the other side with the crane console. The console is still interactable, so I smash the console again. Leon knows what's up before I do and shouts, Now I got you! In the room we're in, I can see the crane tower spin in place, its arm rotating like a clock hand high above. And a few seconds later, the red shipping container sweeps across the platform in front of me with great speed, crashing into Mr. G 2.0. He slides off the platform, but catches himself before he falls. Okay, I see what I need to do here. I need to call away the shipping container, kite the creature into the shipping container's path, bring him to his knees with as good a shots as I can manage, then ram him again with the shipping container while he staggers back to his feet. He rakes me three more times while I'm lining up the next crane strike, and when it hits him, he's ready for it. He pushes back against the force of the crane, heels sliding backwards over the edge, but the force is too much and his feet slip off the edge, though he saves himself by clinging to the side of the shipping container. I'm thinking... Oh boy, we're going to be doing this a third time as he climbs up the side of the container, but to my surprise he loses his grip and plummets into the abyss below. Leon says, let's hope that's the last of him, and now I know it will not be the last of him. After all of that, I walk over half-destroyed wood plank scaffolding to return to the garbage room. She's lying on the ground, metal spikes still in her leg. She implores him to take it out, and he does. Ada's leg squelches with blood as he frees her from the spike. 
She says the situation is worse than she thought. Ada dresses her wound and Leon helps her up. Leon gets emotional and says, you protected me, now it's my turn. And Ada says, didn't know we were keeping score. If you want to help, get us to NEST, all caps, which is the Umbrella Corps lab directly under us. According to Annette, that's where the virus samples are. She asks, are you up for this? And Leon cheekily says, I think I can fit it into my schedule. What a dork. She says the tram I saw earlier will take us to the lab and that her wristband is our ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. Leon asks where she got it. Ada says she borrowed it, which is the truth. Back in the monitor room, I save my game. When we board the tram, Ada dangles the idea that this might be a one-way trip. Thankfully, we are badasses. Leon activates the tram and it descends down a tunnel. He fantasizes about the FBI raiding Umbrella headquarters. And Ada says, we're just here to get the virus sample and escape. Ada opens up to Leon saying she does trust him, although she was skeptical at first. She says if she can secure the virus, she can guarantee the city's safety. Given her injury, she has no choice but to trust in Leon now. Midway through yammering about how he's not going to leave her here, she kisses him in the corner of the tram. I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. With a hand on his thigh, she says she wants to see him again, which should marshal the courage out of anybody. Hold on here. This cosmic about face is baffling to me, but then again, I'm not so surprised that Ada keeps her personal feelings hidden pretty carefully. She says she has plenty to live for, but like, what? Anyways, we arrive at the nest station and Ada is staying put. She hands me her wristband and after one of those last moment, Leon, I'm counting you, I know moments, we're off. Leaving the tram, I use my wristband to open a large, multi-layered blast door like the one Luke watched Vader kill Obi-Wan through. An automated voice invites me to stand back as the enormously heavy doors rise, one after another. Nothing races out at me. I enter a futuristic-looking lobby with Umbrella Corps branding running across an empty welcome desk. All the lights are on. They're fluorescent, and the brightly lit rooms feel very foreign to me. The polished metal walls painted white and clean sheet metal floor makes me feel like I'm strolling around in a Carillion Corvette. Then I pick up a... napping log from the front desk. It's a chart with first and last names and timestamps of entry and exit from... something. There are several names on the sheet with records of people going in and out except for the final name, Wei Li. 18551, who entered at 2016 hours, and there's no record of him checking out. Is this an invitation to speak with a warm body that can share some information? Or a warning that something has been set loose? Or has been overexposed for something for too long? We'll find out soon enough. A back room has a typewriter and a storage bin. Also back here is a memo explaining wristbands have tiers of access. Visitor, general staff, and senior staff. You can upgrade your wristband if you input the correct chip. The security room nearby has blood spatters at the foot of a small twin-sized bed, a map of part of the lab, and shotgun shells. Then a voice, coming from an electronic door labeled Main Shaft, says access denied to visitors. The last door, according to the map, goes to the cafeteria and kitchen. The hallway on the way is dark and smoky. Ah, that's more like it. Blood is splashed all over the walls and floor, and it feels like home again. That napper, Whaley, is it his blood, or... The blood of the people he's killed. Feels like I'm stalking a killing spree. Anyways, the cafeteria's automatic door flies open with a hiss before I'm ready, and my flashlight spots a corpse idling in the room's back center. I fell it with a few pistol shots. Then I hear another corpse, and I follow the noise. The sound is coming from a woman in a white lab coat who is ferociously chowing down on the face of an unmoving body. 
and this thing is paying no attention that I am illuminating it with my flashlight. I don't fire on it just yet, and I hear a corpse scream from behind me. I realize the dining corpse is a distraction, and another two corpses are on me. I fell them both with Matilda. The dining corpse pays no mind to the sound of my gunshots firing. Cafeteria food, too good. Yum, 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 yum. Hey, there's Matilda ammo, a grenade, and more flamethrower fuel. I climb a ladder to the air ducts. Oh, I'm gonna hate this, aren't I? I switch to the shotgun, expecting close encounters, but I descend into the kitchen without incident. I pick up a combat knife and some gunpowder. I notice there's scrambled eggs and pancakes on the griddle, so it must have been breakfast when the power went out. Interesting that none of the food is burnt. Like the pile of eggs still on the griddle are perfectly yellow, and the pancakes are golden brown. Leon should be able to eat this for health, but unfortunately, health items in this game are gritty and utilitarian, not delicious with toast and orange juice. A door opens in the back to a hallway where I'm momentarily transfixed by blood splashed up on the walls before me. I hear a footstep to my left, and a corpse doesn't realize I'm standing there three feet behind it. Its head turns to the side and I'm half certain it saw me. I swap to the Thunderhawk and explode its head with a single shot. The nap room is ahead and I have no idea what I'm in for. I open the door and this looks like a pretty small room really, but I have my shotgun at the ready. There is nobody here, but I can see a metal shutter has crashed down on someone's arm, which dangles into the nap room. There's a wristband on his hand. I steal its chip and put it into my wristband. I now have general access. In a locker, I find an accessory for the flamethrower too, a regulator. Looks like it helps conserve fuel. That's great! And there's a circuit breaker here too, displaying a red light and the letters, well, it's four letters, the first one is blank, and the next ones are M, U, and F. I suspect I'll have to come back to this later. When I return to the lobby, an electronic voice urges Dr. Lee, whom I am impersonating, to meet Chief Cartwright in the East Area. Interesting. I sequester a lot of ammo and items and save. The general access door opens up into a wide room, dominated by a gaping abyss. It is strange to feel so far under the earth and yet so high up. The room is vast and circular. The ceiling is hundreds of feet above me, vaulted with huge metal beams that soar across the room, dotted with white industrial lamps. A support column comes down in the center, and I can see from here there is a room with panes of glass inside. I can also see there are two doors to this room across the abyss, each with platforms like the one I'm standing on. If there were bridges that grant access to the center column, the room would look like a pie chart cut into three equal slices. There is a dead special ops soldier sitting up on the platform I'm on. I listen to his tape recorder. Alpha says the target has moved to the west area. Someone else says they will rendezvous at point W3. Alpha has his eyes on the target, who is opening a safe. Alpha has eyes on the G-Virus. Then someone says, Dr. Birkin, you'll come along with us quietly. Birkin, that's Annette's last name. So Annette's been apprehended? Well, I doubt it, but I bet something has apprehended the apprehenders. And by apprehend, I mean have their throats torn out. Leon understands the G-Virus is in the West Area, so let's investigate West Area first. A console nearby releases a telescoping metal catwalk that connects the platform I'm on to the center column. When I get to the center, I can see the room is an elevator and the console near it turns red and squawks at me, suggesting I do not yet have wristband access. Another two consoles control telescoping walkways to the East and West Wing, but my credentials will only release the walkway to the East Wing. The virus sample is in the West Wing. The east wing is not the west wing, yet the only way forward is the east wing. Perhaps I'll find a superior wristband chip there. I enter the east area. The lobby here is similar enough to the north area lobby, but I can see part of the ceiling is ripped out and an AC duct is pouring smoke or gas into the room. 
There is a mild cloud of insects, pestilence really in a Resident Evil game, I'm sure, that's either crowding around the billowing gas or is actually releasing into the room through the duct. The well-lit bay of desks behind the front desk has gunpowder and the usual save game stuff. I go through one of the two doors and... And I don't know what I'm looking at here. My first impression is it's a massive flower blossom stuck in place after bashing against a huge pane of glass that it has probably cracked. Behind the glass is what looks like a surprise arboretum in the belly of this laboratory. I think a person is smashed between the glass and the flower. I get closer and... Yeah, a man in a yellow hazmat suit has been crushed against the glass. A blinking device remains in his purple latex-gloved hand. Looking around the room, a laptop nearby requires senior clearance to access it. I open another door, and it struggles to open. I draw my Thunderhawk and take a step back, but it's just vines that have grown over the other side of the door. After a few yanks, the door opens freely. Inside, the room is overgrown with green creeper vines that climb up the walls and dangle from the ceiling. The room is humid and foggy, perhaps from water vapor that all of these plants are releasing. I walk carefully down the hall, but not careful enough, because I spot the figure of a person hanging from the ceiling far too close to me. It looks like a person, but vines and other plants have grown over its body. Not taking any chances, I line up a headshot and fire. It drops to the ground, growls in a low, glottal rattle, and staggers to its feet. Two more headshots take it down, and when I inspect the fallen figure, I can see bulging orange tumors and a cloud of insects crawling around it. Playing into this game's theme of grotesque virology, I imagine this guy was once human and the wrong vial broke open nearby. I spot high-grade ammo. Awesome. Then a second vine monster grapples me as I'm trying to line up a shot. One combat knife counter and two shots later bring it down. Then I flee to the other side of the room. In the greenhouse control room, a console beeps several times, then an array of nozzles attached to the ceiling of the greenhouse in the next room activates and sprays the plants with a solution. Then the console spits out an aerosol can. I take it. It's the dispersal cartridge. Disperses various solutions into the greenhouse. Could you be any more vague, tooltip? I guess I drop this thing into similar consoles so it can do something to the plants. Also in this room, a facility control terminal that has a keypad featuring unrecognizable symbols. I guess they look like tetrominoes and tetras? Yeah, that's what they're called. And God knows what this grants access to. A quasi-holographic wall map of the east wing shows the large greenhouse room in the center, plus more rooms on the farther side, two of which have unusual red symbols that point to a ladder, and some other unrecognizable thing that I will later learn is a hatch. The next room is the greenhouse room. Are giant plants going to smash me? I prepare my flamethrower, just in case. The greenhouse feels and sounds like a jungle. Quite a different environment than I expect to find myself in this game. The low hum of thousands of insects permeates the dense foliage and growing water vapor fog. Large, broad green leaves hang down over me and creeper vines twist all over the room and twine around the claustrophobic bars and metal arches that constrain movement along the room's elevated walkways. I see a plant monster down the way, but instead of confronting it, I turn left into the drug testing lab. Something too bloated to look human, is wearing a yellow hazmat suit, lying face down in the sitting position in the corner. I'm horrified some pus-filled thing is going to jump out at me from it. Then I read a memo on a workbench that explains you synthesize herbicide by placing an empty cartridge, which I have, into a solution dispenser, add the required amount of UMB number 21 P epsilon, then cool immediately. 
The memo signs off with a warning. Plant 43 might be difficult to control if something unfortunate were to happen. This herbicide will minimize the damage. I have another look at that bloated hazmat guy, and I break the tension between us by running at it full bore. Nothing happens. I pick up a grenade and gunpowder. Also, a locked specimen cabinet bearing a red light is displaying part of the Tetris keypad. The first two symbols are clear as day, but the other two symbols are rubbed off from the sticker. I bet I can brute force the rest of the code, so I return to the Tetris keypad. I try to brute force for several minutes and... You know what, fuck this. I continued to investigate the greenhouse. There's a total of three plant monsters here, and I waste them all. Then I find a hatch with another code. But it's the entire code this time. I dedicate the code to memory, and return to the Tetris console again. Inputting the code turns the color of the quasi-holographic map's red icon on the hatch green, indicating it is unlocked. Down here is a dark utility room with a huge white pipe running across it. A desk here has a map of the east area. Past that is a hallway connected to the server room, lounge, low temp testing lab, and a staircase. The server room, locked. And in the lounge, I steal a trophy shaped like a double helix. And there's a power box here that looks like the one from the napping room. It also bears a red light and displays four letters. This one says M-U-R-F. And I'm supposed to interact with this thing somehow too, but I don't know how. What were the letters on the other one? Blank, M-U-F? Partway down the next hall, three corpses come to life behind me. I fell them all with a shotgun. A split second later, a licker leaps out of the ceiling and sniffs the ground. I back up. A second licker appears and crawls along the ceiling towards me. Spots me for a reason I do not understand, for I am not running or making any more alarming sounds since it entered the room and slashes at me. I make a mad dash back to the first room with the large pipe. I'm amazed I'm still alive, albeit in the danger zone. I don't feel very equipped to press further, so I return to the lobby and save. I mix herbs and restore health. I mix two large gunpowders together and make 60 bullets for Matilda, holy smokes. Maybe I can afford to use the three banger now. So I equip the gunstock to it. Back in the lounge with the liquors, I pass the one that chased me out of the room just fine, but the other is standing unmoving against the only door I'm able to go through. I watch it for a minute and it just does not move. I wonder if I can lay the flamethrower on it long enough to kill it. Or, hold on, do I still have the flash grenade? I do. I pluck its pin and roll it underneath the liquor and it explodes with sound and light, shocking the creature and causing it to rear up on its hind legs. I spring past it in the confusion and close the door behind me. Stairwell with a corpse to the side. One shotgun blast unzips its face. The stairwell goes up. I spot a corpse with its belly hanging over the railing above me. And if I didn't spot it in time, I'm sure it would have just dropped in front of me for a jump scare, right? But Matilda gives it nine. Atop the stairs is a storeroom. I kite the next corpse backwards down the staircase as I line up my shots, but my poor aim means it takes too many than it should to bring it down. A note reads that everybody has turned veggie-fied and that only burning will permanently kill them. I also pick up an equipment modulator, which is probably something for those boxes with the red lights and letters. I return to the napping room in the north wing and input the modulator. Nothing. If I examine the modulator, I can see that I can adjust the wavelengths presented on the modulator's oscillator display. I adjust the waveform until it matches an example waveform I didn't notice in the box earlier. It takes a minute to figure out, but I match the waveform and the light goes green. The lights turn on and the three shutters, one of which had pinned down that arm, go up. The arm belongs to a corpse that comes to life and staggers towards me. Dr. Lee, I presume? Matilda gives him nine. But the highlight here is I score another hip pouch. Then I do a little hip pouch dance. An achievement prompt tells me my inventory is now maxed. And those shutters, I can see now, were for sleeping pods that are inset into the wall. 
The pod that Dr. Lee was in contains his journal, which I read. Its most recent page describes a massacre at the lab executed by that Federal Special Forces unit. But I gotta ask myself, where are the rest of them? I recall that videotape with the Special Forces raiding nest, and, well, the toxin was there, right? The showdown has already happened at West Wing. I return to the East Wing, save, and circle back to the other signal modulator console. Both of the liquors hiss and click-clack behind my back as I fiddle with the instruments to produce the correct waveform. I insert the device into the console, and the lights turn on. I presume the locked doors around here, the server room, and the low-temp testing lab are accessible now. Let's do server room first. In here, there's a small tank of flamethrower gas in here. Brilliant, IT guy. Brilliant. What the hell are you doing storing that shit in here? There's high-grade gunpowder, combat knife, and saving materials here, too. I enter the low-temp lab. Matilda triple-taps the skull of an unmoving scientist on the ground, and it rouses to its feet. As I dispatch it, a kindly electronic voice welcomes me, Dr. Lee, and that I have five new messages. The messages then all play one after another. Message one is from Rick Mendoza, who complains about his boss, Cartwright. He says he's lost his helix and that there's a secret on the bottom. Message two is from Byron Cartwright, who bitterly dismisses Dr. Lee from a greenhouse inspection, then chastises Lee into preparing next year's budget. Message three is from Rick again, who is trapped in an attack in the East area and wonders where Cartwright disappeared to. Message four is from Rick again, who says Plan 43 is out of control and begs Wayne for a strategy to contain it. Message five is also from Rick, who dreamily remembers a girl he and Dr. Lee were attracted to, then remembers he has comic books and games to return to him. But you might have to wait a while. I checked the double helix trophy. There's a sticker with four Tetris-like symbols on it. I recognize the first two match the first half of the code above the locked cabinet in the drug testing lab. But we carry on into Mr. Freeze's lab instead, because it's nearby. Inside, it's so chilly, Leon shudders as he explores the room. In here, there's a console that can't accept my dispersal cartridge, but rejects it. I wonder if that new code has anything to do with this. So I return to the Tetris keypad and input the code. The drug testing cabinet unlocks, and I run to it. This is no cabinet. This is a minigame. I mix vials of different volumes of solution until I produce a vial containing the perfect amount for my cartridge. The cartridge then fills with the solution. Now on to cool the solution. I return to the freezer and... I don't have the cartridge. I, I left it in the other thing? Are you fucking kidding me? Alright. Alright. I return, then I return again, to the freezer. Crisping a few plant dudes and tiptoeing around the same two liquors yet again. I input the cartridge, and a small yellow robotic arm behind a cube of glass takes the canister and inputs it into one of many canister-shaped slots around it. Frosty air hisses around the hole as an electronic voice says something about a cooling process. When the console spits the canister back out, I fucking take it with me. In the greenhouse control room, I drop the canister into the console that controls the sprinkler system. The sprinkler system activates and douses the greenhouse in herbicide. A long moment later, we can see that the flower that's pinning Mr. Hazmat to the glass wall, Mr. Hazmat being, uh, Rick Mendoza, right, has been released. He falls to the floor with a bang, and the glowing chip clatters into a clearing nearby. The way the chip is displayed out in the open, I feel like the game has set a trap for me. I'm like 90% certain there's a boss in my near future. As I race to the nearest storage bin, an electronic voice says I may be subject to disciplinary actions for the destruction I've caused, and I wonder if this is coded language from Capcom that a fucking plant demon is going to flay my skin when I step out into that clearing to take the chip. When I get to the bin, I stock up. I know I'm going full bore into this encounter because I am bringing three combat knives. I saved, right? Yeah, I saved. Better save again. 
for good measure. I pick up the chip and smash it into my wristband. A second later, I'm showered in glass, and the tyrant leaps out in front of me. He doesn't give a shit about the flames I'm covering him in and smashes me in the face with his fist. I hard scrabble away from him, but stop dead when I see another humanoid plant monster barring my escape. I lay the flamethrower on it, but I have trouble believing that I'm going to finish it before the tyrant is caught up. Sure enough, he punches me in the back and I fall forward at the plant creature's feet and into the danger zone. Johnny Plantface is distracted by the flames on him long enough for me to slip past him and run like hell out of the greenhouse. Now that I have the senior access, I can check that laptop terminal in the room where we first witnessed the plant-crushed man. And yeah, although I am running for my life from an undead Terminator, I find time to snoop on Byron Cartwright's inbox anyways. Two emails. One is from William Birkin. Remember, that's Annette's last name. William chastises Cartwright for letting in seven spies in the last two months under his watch. He tells him to step up security or he might end up like his predecessor. He also says he's restricting access to the West Area and that he should ignore all requests from HQ for info about G, as those suits are useless to the G project. The other email is an automatically generated warning that Wayne Lee has dispersed herbicide into the greenhouse. Hey, you know what? No better scapegoat than a dead man. I race back to the central pit. I try to disengage the bridge I just crossed as a means to lock the tyrant into that wing, but the console that controls the bridge is no longer interactable. So I engage the other bridge, to the west wing, with my full access badge. Hopefully there's some G samples ahead, Leon says to himself. When the electronic door swings open, I see a special ops unit lying dead in a dark hallway. He's got a cassette tape on him, which I take. I power on the room with the modulator device and browse William Birkin's inbox from a nearby desk. Jane Doyle says Umbrella Corps is halting funding on the G project and William Birkin has been removed from his post. This must have been one of those suits William mentioned in the email to Cartwright. Another email is from someone bearing the initials B.E., who appears to be a liaison to a company that will purchase Birkin's bioweapon at any cost. A third email from Richard Kessler congratulates William Birkin on readying G for application and thinks it's strange he left corporate out of the good news. Oh, and don't worry, you've done good work on G, but we can take care of the rest. Rip. The fourth and last email is from Jane Doyle, who accuses William of claiming ownership of the G project and has been in unauthorized contact with the U.S. military who must have been that third party from the other email. There's a VHS player and a CRTV nearby. I inspect the video before I put it in. It's labeled Operation Nest Wrecker. The video shows an alternate angle of the moment when a special ops squad corners William Birkin in a lab. Basically, it reveals the full story we got just a smidgen of from Kirky Boy. He is a middle-aged man, white and has deep creases on his face. He is defensively holding a fat black case. They must contain the G-Virus samples. William says he's not going with the special ops, but the ops has their orders. William points something at the squad, and one special ops guy opens fire on him with a fully automatic weapon, pouring perhaps 15 bullets into his torso. As he collapses to the ground, the squad leader shames his teammate for his itchy trigger finger, then updates someone on the accident by a remote call. The squad seizes the black case and leaves William's body. The tape ends here. Beyond, I pass through a sci-fi sanitization chamber and cross an incredible bioreactor room that feels like the tractor beam disengagement room from Star Wars A New Hope. Behind it is the P4 level testing lab where Leon discovers a G-virus sample idling innocently and suspiciously in the relative open. I can also see home aquarium-sized test tubes of grotesque monster parts nearby, including a flesh ball with two eyes, a mutated arm, and an alien-looking heart. 
I save my game from a nearby typewriter while an electronic voice says unauthorized personnel have seized the virus and a self-destruct sequence is about to unfold. I'm feeling like a showdown is two seconds away, so I race to the storage box, mix together as much ammo as I can, and get prepared for whatever might happen next. The prompt in my save file says return to Ada, but I already know she's a mountain of effort away. When I recross the bioreactor room, the hulking monster I smashed with the shipping containers crashes through the ceiling. Inexplicably, Leon comes to a stop to look. My dude, we can run from this too. But the scene plays on, and Annette throws open the door to Hive's central room and says, Move! He's mine! She holds up some kind of modified handgun to the monster, loaded with a capsule that splashes the Hulk with a clear chemical that causes the creature to wail and thrash in place. White smoke lifts off its exposed bloody viscera. It falls to its knees before Annette, and she says, I'm sorry, William. You left me no choice, and fires her chemical gun again. It struggles, growls, and goes motionless on the walkway. Leon gets really, really close to this thing, and I'm afraid it's going to just backslap his face off. Sweaty and distressed, Annette cries out that we never meant for this to happen. Leon tells her to tell him everything. And you know what? She does, but in a flashback form. We flash to a dying, sepia-toned William Birkin holding a fat, metal syringe at his side, saying, You won't get away that easy. We can presume this is what happens next after that last tape we just watched. He jams the thing into his chest, presses the plunger, then yanks the syringe out of him and tosses it out the room. Annette walks in a second too late and realizes William's desperate decision. We cut back, and Leon lectures Annette on how she is responsible for this game's horrors, but gets not two sentences in until he's interrupted by the massive creature coming to life again and snatching Annette. It squeezes her in a fist that looks like it could uproot a tree, then it throws her across the room. Annette hits a metal wall, drops to the floor, and flounders in agony. Then the monster grows two extra beefy arms complete with clawed fists that hang over and around its head like Kerrigan or Machamp. Annette staggers to a console and presses a button that illuminates her face in red light. The platform William and I are on descends to a lower level. It's a single room with no obvious entrances or exits. Annette must be suffering from brain damage because her reasoning for trapping me with her mutant body horror brother is because we can't let him get away. Oh, fuck her. Of course, when we refer to him, we mean the super-powered mutant made of pure muscle that can smash through anything it wants. Like... If she doesn't have brain damage, she's forcing me to kill him here and now or die. Lady, you're lucky I brought all of my weapons with me. Also, I'm going to kill you when it's over. William rises to his feet about the same time Leon does. Orange, pussy eyeball at the profile of one of his gargantuan arms. It's time to fight. Leon and I marshal up the strength of will to put this thing down. As it comes at me, I can see there is a second, smaller orange eyeball at the knee opposite of the larger eyeball. I know that aiming at the larger eyeball, the one I targeted during the first boss fight, will be harder to get a shot off on, so I aim for the knee. Matilda gets three shots in, and the eyeball explodes. I run past it quickly and scan the room. The room is circular with four walls that hash the room into four sections, some larger than the others. I'm tempted to explore these areas for items, but I know that going into these wings will allow the creature to corner me. So I keep to the center area where I have the most room to dip and dodge. Matilda fires a couple more volleys as I'm kiting, all of which miss. William pauses to rip a huge refrigerator-sized piece of technology out of the floor, let's just call it a power transformer, which gives me a moment to line up a shot. Matilda's aim is true, but as her bullets rip through the eye, the Transformer explodes in William's hands and covers him in yellow fire that remains a dangerous obstacle on the battlefield. 
His immutable march towards me begins anew. I swap to my shoddy and miss, 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 miss. When he rips the second transformer out of the floor, the shoddy explodes another eyeball in the back of its neck and the transformer explodes as well. He's staying put there, stunned from the explosion for a lot longer this time. I don't remember the first Transformer explosion giving him any pause at all. My instincts tell me that there must be some kind of spot I should be focusing fire on right now, but he's already up again by the time I figure it out. There is a small spot in his chest glowing orange that wasn't glowing earlier. I didn't see it in time, damn it! Some of his eyeballs are back too, maybe all of them. I kite him around the room some more, but as I overestimate how fast I can walk backwards and shoot, one of his claws comes down on me and throws me to the floor. I can see now I'm in the danger zone, and I did not realize I was beginning this encounter with partial health. I do not have any health items on me. I've only got a red herb in my inventory, which I brought in the hopes that I could find another green herb somewhere, but I don't see any here. Pausing to pull up the room's map reveals that I have somehow spotted a first aid spray in one of the room's wings. I have no choice but to go get it and risk being cornered. I grab the first item I see. This isn't a first aid spray, it's ammo! I have no idea how close this guy is to me, but I can hear his foot stomps. I grab the next item I see. That's the first aid spray. I snap consume the first aid spray before William can game over me. I turn around and he's farther away than I expected him to be. He goes on all fours and pauses looking like he's about to run me down like a Lionel from Breath of the Wild. So I run perpendicular, and he leaps into the air and comes down just behind me. This is my chance to get out of that corner, so I race back to the room's center area. He catches me with a combo of slashes that propel him forward. As I get up, I circle around him to line up a better shot. With my last two shotgun shells, I explode the largest eye on his shoulder, and he falls to his knees. I bet it's time to focus the chest again, so I snap to the flamethrower. Now I can see that his spine is flopped backwards, basically exposing the weak spot on his chest as obviously as possible. I lay the flamethrower over the orange spot for several uninterrupted seconds, and when he gets on his feet again, Super William's musculature is ember red and completely set alight. The visage of the towering, burning monster burns into my brain, and I'm feeling small, but formidable, kind of like Gandalf versus the Balrog. The flames go out, and he turns his back to me to pull a towering piece of metal panel off the wall and smashes half the room's remaining walkable areas with it. The metal panels break as they strike the metal flooring we're doomsday battling on. I swap to the lightning hawk, and suddenly, I'm a crack shot. I keep my distance from William, trying to keep him in view in the corner of my game screen as I'm running away, and I'm patient. In one shot, one eye explodes, then another, then another. He's exposing his chest again, so I swap to the flamethrower again, the cleansing flames do its work. I can see the orange spot a little better now, and with better clarity, I can tell you it's an ugly little stump of heaving orange tumors. The next time William goes Balrog again, the chest tumors explode with a thick gelatinous splash. Alarms sound, and an electronic voice says quarantine is over, and that an emergency lift nearby has activated. This boss fight is over! When I return to Annette, Leon sees that her injuries are serious. Only vaguely so. But the only thing Annette wants from me is my guarantee that I will destroy the G-Virus. Leon white knights for the man and says, no, it's evidence, it's going to the FBI. Annette chokes out a laugh and says, Ada Wong is no FBI. She's a mercenary who aims to sell the G-Virus. Leon isn't buying it. Annette then springs off this mortal coil with a warning for Leon that the virus cannot get into the wrong hands. When I arrive in the central area, Ada's already there hacking the central elevator to the surface. She implores Leon to hand him the virus sample, an invitation to complete the mission she sent him on, but Annette's warning gives him pause. He says Annette says, you're not FBI. She points her gun at Leon and asks again. Leon levels Matilda on her, and she doesn't so much as flinch. 
Stuck in a Mexican standoff as the self-destruct warnings blare, they each double down. I wish I didn't have to kill you. I wish I didn't have to put you under arrest. You know, that stuff. The walkway behind Leon breaks and falls away. He calmly lowers his gun and invites Ada to shoot him, calling her bluff, perhaps compelling her to think about her basic humanity or our tender smooches in the tram a few hours ago. She lowers her gun and smiles. Then blood bursts from her chest. From behind Leon, across the chasm, a truly professional sharpshooter's aim from a not-truly-dead Annette seems to seal Ada's fate. The platform she and I are on buckles and throws Ada into oblivion, but Leon catches her with one hand. The G-Virus falls from his grip and disappears into the black. Satisfied, Annette delights that not the FBI nor third parties will get the virus sample. She heaves and then dies again. Back at the cliffhanger, the walkway tenuously supporting Leon twists and cracks. Ada implores him to let go. Leon declines, but the calm, knowing look on Ada's face says she's already made up her mind. With a kindly and final, take care of yourself, Leon, she slips from Leon's grip and plummets thousands of feet. There is no thud, just the continuous dull rumble of the secret lab's progressive self-destruction. Leon is playable again, and a red digital countdown timer is ticking to zero in the corner of my screen. I have ten minutes before I'm buried with the rubble of the lab. I race to the central elevator, which is going down, not up. As the elevator descends through the blackness where Ada and the virus sample fell, I can see colossal burning reactors as tall as a building. I get off the elevator's first stop and run through a quarter of brightly lit computer screens. Leon spots one with Claire on it. She's down here too, and knows a way out but all too soon the picture's breaking up and we lose connection. Something explodes in the distance. I race through the bowels of utility rooms roasting plant monsters as I go, four in a row. One green herb later, the tyrant leaps down from the ceiling. Leon is in my brain in this moment and sighs something like, what? Fucking now? The tyrant punches me in the face, sending me into the danger zone. I mix red and green herbs and restore to full, release myself from a tyrant grapple by jamming a combat knife through a stony hand, and spring out the door. I charge through a burning boiler room and explode the head of the scientist's corpse without missing a step. The walkway before me bursts and becomes impassable. The tyrant has caught up to me now, lifting me off the ground by my face. Before he can pop me, we're assailed by explosions all around us and the walkway we stand on gives way. He loses his grip on me and I slide down to the floor below. The force of the blasts that follow are strong enough to throw him backwards away from me or at the very least compel him to retreat. In the next room, I pick up something called joint plugs and pop them into the first console I see. An explosion bursts a ventilation shaft from across the way, and then more and more rip through the room. Next, a towering support column breaks loose and crashes through two elevated walkways. But he ain't done with me yet. The tyrant breaks open a wall above me. The explosions have ripped his jacket off. Buff, sinewy, sexy tyrant, who has one permanently burning hand now, makes two precise and mighty jumps through disintegrating carnage to land on the industrial lift I'm on, which descends a downward slope at a steady, easy pace. I am stuck on this thing with him. I kite him around the lift, dodging heavy slashes from his burning claw and crumbling chunks of ceiling that would probably one-hit kill me if I wasn't standing there when it came down. It doesn't seem like anything does anything to him. A minute later, I see him in a corner, steadying at a lunging power pose, and then the burning claw starts giving off sparks. Leon utters an uh-oh as the tyrant races at me, rams his claw right through me like I'm impaled on each of his burning claw's fingers, and then he lifts my body up above him, flames licking my clothes and roars in my dying face. You are dead. God damn it, I was so close that time. 
Welcome back, my friend. Skewered me like a goddamn meatball on a fork. <sighs> hey, Game Genie. I'm in the middle of something here, and we're just about to wrap this up, so can you send me back again, please? Uh, yes, but do you want to hear what I've learned about your precious game over, kid? Yeah, but uh, t tell me quick. I've got to get back. Quick. Easy. Skip right to the end. You humans are so pathetic. <sighs> anyway, our mutual acquaintances, Cheetah Cheater and Pumpkin Eater, have kidnapped Game Over Kid and brought them to their master. Their master? Yes. And if you want to rescue her, whoa, you Whoa, 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 Game Genie. I never said that. But Tyler, news has reached their master that a human has been dropping into these lands. When the trickster kids deliver Game Over Kid to him, she will have no choice but to tell all she knows about you. What do I have to do with anything? Well, we just don't know yet. But it seems your occasional visits here have piqued the interest of some especially loathsome individuals. You don't happen to play bass guitar, do you? Look. None of this is my business. I don't care about any evil masters or grandiose schemes. I'm not even sure this world is real in the first place, so just send me back and let me finish Resident Evil 2. As you wish. So distracting. Okay, think, think. I bet I have to stun him or something. I do have one stun grenade and three regular grenades on me, so let's try the regular grenade. In round two, I can tell you that both types of grenades will interrupt the move, although I wonder if shooting up the sparking arm will pause it too. I should also point out that the falling debris is limiting the amount of space I have to dodge his attacks. I managed to interrupt the tyrant's charge move at least twice, I can't remember, and then something explodes nearby, and a weapon case comes sliding down the elevator shaft, coming to a stop in the center of the lift between the tyrant and I. Just off screen, the voice of Ada says something like, Now we're even. So Ada survived her fall miraculously. Okay, I will try to buy that. But the weapon case, it's open when it hits the lift. It's got four long steel barrels with a metal box at the end. Could this be a minigun? The tyrant knows I want this, and as I race to it stupidly, he shoves his claw in my face. I should have known better. I run a half circle around the tyrant and then pick up the weapon. Anti-tank missile! I snap a quip and fire the weapon at the tyrant without aiming. A rocket explodes against the tyrant's abdomen at a distance of 15 feet from my position. When the black smoke clears, only the tyrant's hips and legs remain. Everything above has vanished, leaving behind a cross-section of the tyrant's barrel-chested torso, revealing rib bones and spine splashed with ugly viscera guttering thick red blood. The legs fall forward towards Leon and thump to the ground. Thank god this is over, but the timer is still counting down. We're down to three and a half minutes by now. The lift comes to a stop. The hallway beyond is blocked by one lonely corpse. I have three more rockets on me. I think... To hell with it. Let's rocket him. The physics of what happens next is ridiculous. The explosion throws the corpse into the air towards me, falling at my feet. <laughs> and I laugh. I run right past it and arrive at an abandoned and collapsing subway station. Perhaps part of an actual rail line suffering collateral damage from the self-destructing lab. Lucky me, a subway train is passing through in this very moment. Leon runs alongside the train and leaps at a railing. He catches it and hoists himself onto a narrow exterior platform just as the train slips off into a black tunnel. In a quiet, tender moment, Leon looks at his security wristband, pauses and says, I can't believe I actually miss her. Dope. Then slips it off his wrist and abandons it in the subway tunnel.
Leon gets up and enters the car, and, my god, Claire and a young blonde girl are here. You can feel the happy astonishment in their voices when they say each other's names, confirming that they're both safe. We made it, says Claire. Just like I said we would, says Leon. And who this little lady is is going to be a mystery to me. But who cares? Credits! The credits play just like a movie does. It's no surprise, given the cinematic nature of this game, and courageous, thrilling music plays. When the credits are over, we get a very brief sequel teaser, or something like a sequel teaser. Locked metal lab doors with a red strip light above it smash open, and a mutated hand or tentacle curls out from one of its sides. And now I get my rating. How good did I do in this game? I earn an achievement, and a brief review of my campaign appears in a printed Raccoon City Police Force memo on a desk also bearing a police badge, handgun, typewriter, and rolls of film. It says, Results. Story completed. Leon S. Kennedy. Game mode, standard. Total game time, 20 hours, 56 minutes, 53 seconds. Saves, 61. Although plenty of those saves were, you know, those <laughs> might as well save again, right? And then there's a letter. C. I guess that's my grade? Hey, that passes. That passes, everybody. I passed the class, everybody. I graduated. C's get degrees. Good enough for me. Thank you for listening, everybody. This miniseries is a production of Gunblade Guys and Hero with a Thousand Potions a gaming podcast where my friend and I discuss the storytelling and gameplay of RPGs. You can find Hero with a Thousand Potions wherever you get your podcast fix. And now that you've made it this far, think about liking us, subscribing to us, five-starring us, writing a review about us, and telling a fellow game-liker about us, too. Little things like that help us reach more cool people, just like yourself. You should also think about joining our Discord community, too. You can find a link to it in the podcast description, but you can also email us at gunbladeguys at gmail.com as well. Thanks again, and... You know, don't take this the wrong way, but kind of like Leon just now, I can't believe I actually miss her too. Maybe I should try to help her. No, no, no. That's ridiculous. Is it? <laughs>